All right. Welcome back, everyone, to the Nick Tasky podcast. Today, I'm joined again by Mark Verudimos. Um, just going to try and keep things pretty casual today, but uh, with the festive season coming up, Christmas and everything, we'll kind of uh, focus generally on making it through Christmas, kind of relationships, um, how to manage yourself. Um, you know, I, I suppose we're all going to eat some bad food. We're going to pick up some bad habits potentially over Christmas. Uh, get into some tense situations maybe and um we're just gonna keep that as our general theme so welcome mark yeah thanks nick appreciate it and uh, i had a little chuckle around the tense uh tense situations so so yeah some people can get a little bit triggered over christmas so yeah look um you and i thought we'd come together and do a podcast um you know we've both been applying health principles for quite a while and i'm not sure if you remember i know you've been doing it for a few years now nick but you know when the christmas season you know, when you've been really good health-wise for the first or second time and that Christmas season comes up, sometimes it's like, you know, what do I do here? You know, so um, and it is a little bit of trial and error. It's a little bit of finding a good balance. So, you know, we'll just go through some, you know, some tips and some strategies and try and do whatever works for you. Um, and then we'll just kind of go from there. So, yeah. So, th- so just, to, just mm-hmm. to kind of cut in a little bit, one of the first things or, or, or something positive I took away from potentially last Christmas or the Christmas before was the contrasting feeling of, of like actually feeling unhealthy again. Like, you know, speaking on having followed the principles for a long time and then deciding to completely let loose for a week, um, I just remember feeling like now I know that what it, what it actually feels like to feel healthy because having that contrasting feeling um, – when you're feeling you've eaten everything disgusting and and all of the Christmas desserts and you know drunk all the alcohol and all that sort of stuff, it's it's like night and day. Yeah, yeah, it's a really good point actually. And you know, when I work with my clients personally, um, they'll sometimes have some good weeks and then sometimes have one or two bad weeks for whatever reason. You know, it could be social circumstances or sabotage. Uh, and then they're like, oh, I felt so bad or, you know, I actually put the weight back on or I couldn't sleep properly. And it's like, cool. Well, we now actually know what some of the answer is like, well done, you know, so, so we know what we're doing is working. So, um, look, I've, I've never, you know, I, I've worked with, I couldn't tell you how many clients, but I've never seen like a straight linear progression that just goes upwards in terms of progress. Um, it's normally like a, like a, a few steps forward, maybe one or two steps back. That's very, very common and, and if not almost very normal. So so the two steps back is like a nice reminder as to um, uh, what to do better in my view. And it's a good chance for reflection as to, you know, why it's happened. Uh, and then ideally you, you take stock and then you move forward again. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good point that you make there. I've never seen anyone who's, I mean, Who's, who's progressed completely linearly and, and never taken a step back is just like, it doesn't exist. Yeah, no, I don't think so either. I don't think so either. Cool. So let's let's um, let's dive into some things and I'll just sort of speak at things at random and, and, you know, feel free to fire some questions at me. So I think the big one for a lot of people is alcohol. Um, so... So this can be hard because, like, there's a lot of alcohol around around Christmas time. Um, you know, it is a big part of our social fabric, especially here in Australia. Um, I don't know if it's my social circles, but it seems to be more uh, accepted if you don't drink alcohol or maybe people are just used to me now. I'm not really sure. Um, but even then, uh, you know, you and I have still had a drink together every now and then. So, you know, I'm not perfect in this regard. Um um, and I'm okay with that at the moment, you know, so, you know, I almost think if, you know, trying to be too healthy can be a sickness in itself and it can cause quite a bit of stress. So, so, you know, if a situation calls for it, um, you know, I'll have a drink, oh, I don't know, at the moment, you know, maybe like one drink a week, one drink a fortnight, something like that. Um, so, so, okay, cool. So, you know, what's so bad about alcohol? Like some people actually have those questions. Okay. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, alcohol has been shown to damage our gut, you know, you know, the mucous membrane. Um, it's been shown to cause some shrinkage in some certain areas in our brain. Um, it's been shown to affect our hormone, our hormonal system, specifically testosterone. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of a little bit more long-term, uh, short-term in terms of hangovers. You know, well, why do we get a hangover? 
um, you know, often it's like uh, dehydration, um, you know, probably general inflammation in the body. Um, another reason is actually when we drink alcohol, the reason why people love it is when we drink alcohol, it actually triggers the release of a, a, a neurotransmitter called GABA. I don't know if you've heard of GABA or not. But um, so GABA has got like a very calming effect on the body. So people drink alcohol like, oh, cool, you know. Like I tell my boss to go get after whatever it might be, you know. <laughs> so, so, so it's like cool. I've got GABA, awesome. So you know, very calming effect on the body, and actually sort of um, almost blocks or, or definitely reduces the production of something called glutamate, which um, you know is linked with managing your levels of anxiety. So again, so you've now got these two you know, neurotransmitters or potentially just chemicals that are sort of, you know, making you more calm and making you less anxious while you're on alcohol. And that's why, you know, the inhibitions actually kind of drop away. Um, so, so my point to this story, cause I'm kind of talking about hangovers is, so you've got this, you know, this calming effect, this, um, uh, this lower anxiety effect, but then, so when you come off the alcohol it actually has to come back into balance and it can actually even overshoot. So all of a sudden now you're like not as calm as all uh, at all, and you're actually more anxious. So, um, in its in the body's attempt to rebalance, it can actually overbalance if that makes sense on the other mm. way, um, and now you're becoming more anxious. So um, that's another reason why you know it's been linked with actually affecting mental health, well at least in the short term, and actually also in the long term. But it can really mess around with your neurochemistry. So, so. Um, it, it sounded like you're about to ask a question. But, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Well, sure. what, one of the things I was going to say about alcohol is is the effect that it has on like blood glucose or blood sugar levels, right? Yeah. So you 100%. get this initial spike in blood glucose followed by a low, and that's typically why you see people, you know, hanging around the kebab shop or, you know, eating <laughs> fast food at the end of the night, right? Get hungry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, I hadn't actually thought about that, but you're actually right. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, you're spot on. So. Yeah, so that's another one as well. Okay, so so then it's kind of like, well, what do you do? You know, aside from drinking less, drinking less is actually the best answer, just to let you know. Um, um, but let's let's sort of say that, hey, look, you are trying to drink less, so how else do you manage it? So, you know, drinking loads of water throughout um, an alcohol session or straight afterwards can be really good just to help that those dehydration symptoms, okay? Um so drinking loads of water and, you know, I'm sure most people have heard, you know, eating with alcohol um, is also excellent. So that will just protect the membrane, the mucous membrane of, of the gut a little bit. Okay. So the alcohol won't um, directly, you know, go right through into the stomach. It'll just actually be a little bit protected. Um, your digestive enzymes will be flowing a lot better. Um, you know, there's a certain enzyme that helps break down alcohol. Um that will help. That will help you process the alcohol. It actually helps you digest the alcohol better and a little bit slower as well. So, um, which to so your is point, there a particular actually- kind of food, Mark, that you would like that you would have people eat with alcohol? Like personally, I would think that uh, foods that are higher in fat and protein are probably better to have with alcohol than something heavy in carbohydrate. Yeah, look, that's generally what um, I recommend and lean towards, um, mainly because, as you mentioned, around blood sugar levels, that can actually help just stabilize the blood sugar levels quite a lot. So especially fat, like high-quality fat, can just really help slow it down and stabilize it. Um, but you and I have spoken offline, and we might even go into it you know, here, um, around the importance of genetics as well and, and just individuals. So, you know, some individuals just might feel better on the carbohydrates, but um, yeah, I think as a general rule of thumb, if you're experimenting with this for the first time, um, high protein and fat is probably a better way to go. Yeah, like I think one of the best things that you can do is have like, uh, you know, I, I think it's pretty common to have like cheese and crackers and probably a bit of salami or something like that. Um, if it was me, I would probably try and aim for the more of the cheese and salami and and steer a little bit clear of the crackers if you can. Um, but yeah. in speaking about that, um, you know, protecting the gut lining a little bit, I think that the like the fat and the protein are also contributing to that more than any kind of cracker or anything like that would. Yeah, that that that's what I think as well. That's what mm. I think. So, so we've kind of got well, how do you how do you manage it? So cool. So we've got like yeah, drink more water. You know, eat food with it, which which would be really good. Um, 
you know, I also think a form of electrolytes would be good, especially afterwards, like uh, like a coconut water or a pinch of high quality salt in your water would be really good just to help rehydrate you. Um, you know, I haven't actually really been able to find any evidence around the mixing of drinks and whether that's worse. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I it's been a while since I've mixed drinks, like it would have been a good, you know, maybe 10 years or so. But, you know, as I remember back to my, my days, my early 20s, uh, when I'd mixed drinks, you know, for fun, it was like a laugh. Um, you know, I got the sense my hangover probably was worse. Um, mm. but you, you never really know, like, it's hard to know, I guess, like that could have been mental as well. Um, you know, I was drinking soft drink with alcohol at the same time as well. So, so yeah, it's hard to know. So I haven't actually found any evidence around that, to be honest, and and I'm open to seeing it if it is there. Um, but then it's like, well, what about some other alcohols? Um, you know, what's better beer or wine or spirits or anything like, or or things like that. So, uh, I, I, I certainly think, you know, if you've got a gluten sensitivity, you should probably, be careful having beers and, and look for gluten-free beers like beers on a rice base um, would be really good. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, beers on a corn base could also be okay. Uh, and again, so that would look, be I'm more actually- of your like uh, Asahi, Sapporo, those Japanese kind of beers are generally like rice beers. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. If you've got a gluten sensitivity. Um, and look, I, and I think I've made it pretty clear in the podcast. Look, I don't think alcohol is particularly healthy i'm just sort of trying to you know talk about different options out there that's yeah um uh so you've got beers so yeah ideally if you want to drink beer uh you know you'd go try and do a gluten-free especially if you're gluten sensitive um uh the wines you know if you can you know trying to do like more the organic wines can be quite good um especially the you know the commercially commercial wines um they have a lot of different additives in there so you know where you can you know try and do an organic wine if you go into a party and you're taking a bottle of wine you know a few extra bucks you can actually buy an organic one because you know grapes are actually quite highly sprayed um uh and then you've got your spirits so the spirits you know there's this theory that um the clearer spirits will lead to less hangovers and there is actually a bit of research behind that so so, you know, the clearer spirits will have less or lead to less what they call congeners in the body. Uh, and congeners have been linked with, you know, more severe hangovers. So, um, so yeah, if you wanted to drink spirits, probably the clearer ones are better. Specifically, vodka and gin have been linked with sort of less congener production in the body. Okay. That's interesting. I, I think that probably those alcohols are actually more highly distilled as well, like especially with your more expensive vodkas um, names are avoiding me at the moment, but things like Grey Goose and Ciroc, like those sort of brands are like double or triple distilled, which probably has some effect. Um, and yeah, again, okay, cool. those more highly distilled ones and, and your vodkas are going to be like more gluten-free as well. Um, and I mean, one of the things that I, I guess you might've touched on a little bit earlier, but to clarify a little bit is that um, when we talk about leaky gut syndrome, Mm-hmm. Anytime you're drinking alcohol, you're going to separate the, the gap junctions in the gut lining, right? Like there's going to be some like protein leaking through those gap junctions and into the bloodstream. Yeah, there's definitely research about alcohol um, affecting the gut. Oh, you've put me on the spot. Is it specifically linked with intestinal permeability or leaky gut? I'm sure you could find research on that. I'm, I'm, um, I'm I've fairly sure there's of, some pretty strong evidence. Yeah, that, I've, yeah, I've read broad research on the fact that it just causes inflammation in the gut, which, you know, does actually generally lead to leaky gut and and you know the research is still um up and coming on the whole leaky gut thing because it was kind of considered pseudoscience you know just a while ago so i think it's becoming more accepted now yeah and i think the other thing um again in in my mind um any kind of food that you're eating um when you're drinking alcohol you're more likely to develop an intolerance to um so if you've if you've got oh yeah that, wow I hadn't thought of that well sure. yeah well if I, I think in my mind if you're if you've got that intestinal permeability and then those foods are those particles those proteins are leaking through into the bloodstream or through the blood brain barrier um, you're more likely to develop an intolerance to that food yeah wow I, I see your train of thought yeah I hadn't actually even thought about that to be honest with you so yeah no that's really interesting I have to I have to give that some thought and see if there's anything out there on it but yeah okay yeah no good point. The other thing that I've really noticed with alcohol for me is that it has a uh, has a real kind of cortisol elevation effect. Like 
Um, one of the things that I've noticed in myself is that it sounds kind of counterintuitive, but um, it's actually ha- has like a, a, a stimulate or stimulating effect. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people have probably had the experience of, you know, if you're having a big night out, you can stay awake until the early hours of the morning. Um, whereas if you weren't drinking, you'd probably be more likely to go to sleep. So I think there's probably something to that as well. Yeah, it has been linked with um, higher production of cortisol for sure, um, alcohol. Um, I get the sense it would probably even be there a little bit the next day as well in that in that hangover phase, even though you might be tired. But if it's a stress on the body, then, you know, then yeah, that can trigger the adrenals to, to release cortisol. So, yeah, I think um, I think that's perfectly reasonable. Yeah, and it has yeah. been linked with that. I like think I um, you also touched on this before and, and you said, you know, alcohol is probably not the best choice of things to have. And I, I guess the, the caveat to this conversation would be, you know, you to like like you said even before, like there's there's potentially disease in trying to be ultra healthy. And the other side to that is, you know, that we, we want to prepare people for the occasion where uh you are you, you're just going to be in situations where you're going to want to have a drink or you're going to want to eat um, some bad food and that's okay. Yeah, look, it, it happens. Um, uh, everyone, in my view, has got this different level of, you know, what suits them individually. Um, you know, and it can vary on a number of factors, like how sensitive their body is could be a really good example. Um, you know, if their body's really sensitive then they just can't do it, you know, it, like the same as um, – you know, someone who's celiac, they just like, or severe celiac, they just can't tolerate any gluten at all. So, so it's really, it's really dependent, I think, on how sensitive the person's body is, um, you know, how healthy they want to be, um, how good of results they want to have. So it's a tricky one and it's a constant evolving process. So, you know, I remember when I first got in this train, you know, this health train, uh, back in 2010, after I I read, um, uh, how to eat, move and be healthy by Paul Check. Um, you know, there was like some holidays where I could feel myself stressing out, you know, so it was like, oh, do I do this? Do I do that? All right, we're all going out for pizza. What do I do here? So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it can be a little bit stressful. Um, um, and even now, while I, my compliance is, you know, extremely high, I still falter every now and then. Um, and but, but to have that social benefit, like, you know, that's just the trade-off and, and uh, it's, it's a really individual choice. Yeah, I remember thinking like when I started eating mostly organic food and going to places and thinking like, oh, what if it's not organic? And I'm at the point now where I'm like the advantage of having that social interaction and just, you know, relaxing at the time and and just enjoying like the company and the food. Um, It's not to say that I don't try and opt for like grass-fed steak um, over Mm grain-fed or that I don't, Mm -hmm. that I completely relax all my rules, but uh I don't let myself stress to the point where everything has to be perfect. Yeah, yeah. And look, I think if, you know, if you've got um, a social circle that's not encouraging of that, like you're not encouraging of your health goals, then, you know, you may have to reconsider, you know, how often you you are with this social circle or, um, you know, who you want to hang out with. So, you know, you're not, you may not find anyone as strict as, as what you want to be, but, um you know, uh, hopefully your your friend, family and friends are fairly supportive of what you want to do. Yeah, completely. And that's that's a that's a really important point you make. I think um, I think for a lot of us, I mean, we could go down multiple different rabbit holes with this one, but um, I I don't know if Brisbane's like a particularly great place for access to to really healthy food like when you go to a place like sydney you've got these restaurants like rough and bear and and you know these places Mm -hmm. with more access to organic foods and you know really Mm -hmm. high quality foods where it's a little bit more difficult to find those sort of places in in brisbane is that been your experience Yes, uh, I, I used to live in Sydney, so so they they were pretty advanced, um, mm. and they have cafes that have a lot of organic food. Um, I don't know that many places in Brisbane that do, if I'm to be completely honest. But you know, I eat out maybe twice a week, three times a week, and then have um, uh, the rest of my meals home cooked. You know, all organic. You know that that ratio for me is okay. Like, yeah, I, can, I, I can agree with that. You know, so so yeah, no, it's not too bad. Um, you know, I think Brisbane's grown a lot actually the last few years. 
Yeah, and eventually, you know, the more support people um, give and the more people, you know, change, I think people are, are gradually changing um, their buying habits and the more that happens, the the more of those sort of or access to those sorts of foods and those uh, restaurants and facilities will open up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The demand will increase. Yeah. So let's, okay, cool. So we sort of spoke about alcohol around around that Christmas period, um, which I think is a pretty important one. Uh, and then just staying well hydrated in and around those times. Um, you know, but, and we're sort of talking about foods. Maybe we talk about sort of nutrition strategies leading into Christmas as an example. So, so you know, I think it like, you know, it's going to be hard to, to be organic over Christmas if you're going to family and friends and that kind of stuff. Like I think that's, um, that, that can be quite difficult unless you lead the charge with bringing food, but then it's like, so what do you do otherwise? Well, I think my first piece of advice would be to really try and avoid, or at least, um, replace foods you're sensitive to so you know the big hitter for a lot of people is like gluten as an example so Mm -hmm. you know if you can just start there as a minimum um you know avoiding foods you're sensitive to you know that will take a long that 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 will you know you'll go a long way to really taking care of yourself over christmas Um, and you know a lot of people when they eat food that they're sensitive to that can that can flare up their gut that can lead to bloating it can lead to constipation you know then all of a sudden you know you've got this um, neuroinflammation, which can, which can lead to adverse moods. So it's like, Hey, look, you know, you might pig out at Christmas, but then you might be in a crappy mood on boxing day, you know? So just trying to be mindful of, I think specifically food sensitivities are probably your best bet. Um, if you're, you know, sort of slightly new to this game, um, if you, if it's absolutely unavoidable, um, you know, which is rare. You can normally talk your way out of these kind of things, but if they're absolutely unavoidable, then I try and just have foods that are kind of enzyme rich to try and break it down. So, you know, I might get home and have like a big glass of lemon water or lime water or something like that, which, uh, you know, I'm not going to say that that completely reverses it, but at least helps break it down a little bit. Um, and I've found it with other people helps break it down. So lime water, um, lemon water, um, aloe vera water can be quite good as well. Um, and I think actually in a private conversation we had, you were like, hey, look, they're starting to discover enzymes that can break down gluten a little bit better as well. Yeah, that's true. <clears throat> um, one of the other things that I would add, uh, and I'm, I'm not quite sure where you sit with this now, but uh, I, I think particularly with alcohol, one of the one of the best supplements that you can actually take is something like a charcoal, like an activated charcoal. Um, charcoal is an adsorbent. And so it's my understanding is that it's, it's working to detoxify. It's not absorbing um, the alcohol, but uh, uh, it's it's charged. It's it's electrically charged. It's uh, is helping to remove that alcohol from the system. Yeah, I have read that. Um, I will add to that, and I don't mean to. Yeah, I don't mean to supersede it, but the only thing I need to add to that is if you're on medications, charcoal can actually detox medications. So so you just got to be a little bit careful around the medication side. That's all. Ah, yeah, that's a really good point that you make. Yeah, any kind of like blood pressure medication um, is—I I know those ones are. are uh, what's the word? They—they they don't work well with with charcoal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sure. 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 Um, okay. So we spoke about kind of kind of uh, alcohol uh, hydration. Um, we spoke about um, like different sort of food sort of choices. Uh, did you, and we sort of spoke about organic as well. I think what the other thing we speak about, you know, leading into Christmas, um, the other thing that, that can really flare people up is just kind of like managing your energy levels, um, you know, managing certain people, um, all those kind of things. So maybe we go with, um, you know, um, people get quite triggered going into family situations, um, you know, some people actually really hate Christmas. I actually personally love it, me, me personally, but but some people yeah, actually it hate well. it. Um, yeah, yeah, I love it. Everyone's got time off. We all hang out, but but some people hate it. And I've even worked with um, some empaths that like kind of really feel energy. They get actually like really knocked out leading into Christmas. Like they can feel kind of like all the anxious energy going into like Christmas Day functions and stuff like that. And they just get really sleepy, um, you know, around about Christmas Eve or the 23rd of Christ, uh, December. So, so which is like really interesting. So, so then like, well, what's happening? Well, 
you know, a lot of what I say is, you know, I can, I can generally sort of refer to research, which, you know, which is great. Um, and then some of the stuff I say is a little bit more woo-woo. So, you know, I'll go there a little bit now because, you know, measuring, you know, relationships and relationship interactions, it's very hard to quantify via, um, uh, via research. So, so, you know, if you, if you read books that where people are, you know, a little bit more clairvoyant by nature. Um, you know, there's an excellent book called The Survival of the Soul by Lisa Williams. So she's a psychic medium and she talks about, you know, we're all part of, a, you know, you and your family may be part of a soul cluster. So you're actually kind of almost meant to come together to learn from each other, um, which is really, really interesting. So then, so then we're almost supposed to get triggered by family and be challenged by family in different ways. So let me put this in like a little bit of a practical sense. So let's just say you go to family functions over Christmas or Christmas Day um, and you get quite triggered that everyone's talking about how well they did financially and you didn't do well that financially that year. You know, that can be quite triggering. And it's like, cool, well, you've got a choice. You can either hate on your family or you can make a choice to actually improve your financial situation. You know, mm-hmm. if that's actually what's triggering you. Um, if you don't care about your financial situation, then it shouldn't actually really trigger you, quite frankly. So so it's like if you're getting triggered by these things, have a look at what it is and what you may actually potentially need to change. Um, if you're triggered by, you know, I gave you one example there. You know, if you're triggered by people talking about their work passionately and really living their purpose and you're working in a, in a job that you don't like, if that's triggering you, you actually now have a really clear sign of what you may need to change. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, another another one can be, you know, when family have got, um, you know, they've got lots of babies and, you know, you really want to have babies and you're getting triggered by that, cool, you know, that's another change you may need to make. So the triggers, in my view, can actually show us where change needs to be made. Um, on the flip side to that, you know, that doesn't mean you tolerate you know, abuse or abusive relationships, you know, that's, you know, that there's, there's this balance between trigger and setting good boundaries. So, um, you know, if people aren't going to treat you well, then, you know, that's a decision you have to make of, well, I'm just not going to deal with you. Um, um, other examples, like if you're dealing with a highly emotional, uh, family member, um, uh, I don't know if you've ever, you know, we've both studied through the Czech Institute. There's one of their their readings, you know, one of a thousand books Paul um, spits out is uh, a book called Nonviolent Communication by I think it's Waylon Myers. Um, a very very short book, uh, only about probably you know fifty to eighty pages, something like that. Um, and he talks there about, hey, look, you know, if you wanted to communicate nonviolently, you just talk about your needs. Um, you know, you can you can talk about how you feel when there's like quite a fiery situation, and then people can potentially lean into a little bit more empathy when that happens. Um, yeah. So rather than saying something like "you did this to me," saying uh, "when this happened, I felt this way." Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So you can just explain a little bit more, um, like where you're coming from, as opposed to you know you're you're the bastard and you did this and you did that. So. So how, how would you tell yeah. if someone was intentionally uh, versus uh, just you being triggered because, uh, you know, like the financial situation or something like that? You know what I mean? Yeah, look, uh, it's a really good question. I don't know if I've got a straight answer other than um, with experience and awareness and time, you know. So uh, even now, you know, I got a little bit triggered last week in a, um, in a personal development call and, and have been pumping a bit of anger, but I just, I've started to work through it now. And it's like, cool. I, I think I, I think I see the light here. So, you know, and I've been, I do this, I've been doing this work full time for almost eight years and I still get triggered and still don't quite see what it is, you know? So, so, um, yeah, I think it just takes a little bit of time and experience in my view and, and probably getting it wrong sometimes and right sometimes. Yeah. And I think the, like the, the flip side to that as well is, we're also going to trigger people like, uh, like as much as we try, I think not to trigger people, you know, sometimes your general attitude, sometimes the fact that maybe you're potentially, um, you know, maybe for people like you and I, we're, we're healthier than uh, other people or, you know, maybe we look a little bit physically better or something like that. And potentially the attitude that comes with that can be triggering for people as well. Yeah. I hadn't actually thought about that to be honest with you. Um, I, when you first mentioned, you know, people might get triggered by us, 
I was probably considering more in terms of social media posts, you know, um, um, sharing certain health opinions. So mm-hmm. it's like, you you know, you can't avoid triggering people. Um, but I actually hadn't thought of that in terms of like health status. Uh, if someone else is kind of, you know, suffering a little bit. Yeah. yeah I, um, I know one of the things that I, I found myself doing when I discovered the check stuff was trying to share it with everyone. And I had, you know, yeah. certain people who were just like, we're not interested in that and we never will be. And it's it's kind of like you know you know you're so excited about something because you, you think you've found you know you're you're the you're the bearer of the light and you've got the answer and uh, you kind of like drunk on this idea and then it's kind of you know understandably triggering for people who just aren't interested. Yeah, I think um, you know when, when you specifically when you learn something new and you feel as though you've got a pretty good handle on it. Like I, I feel a lot of people want to share that, which is perfectly fine, and then. You know, they'll start sharing it. It probably won't connect with a lot of people because um, you're kind of doing it more for your ego as opposed to mm-hmm. kind of, you know, um, potentially coming from this real place of wanting to help. And, and you don't actually really know how to deliver the information either. Um, well, I didn't anyway. I just really wanted to help. And, and yeah, and, and but if anything, you start to sort of start to build a wall. So, um, yeah. And, and then I think over time, it's kind of like I think you get a better read for people um of of what information to deliver as well it's almost like um you know a new finance graduate or a new law graduate they kind of you know they they can go into a new job and think they know everything um Mm -hmm. um but actually they really know nothing so i'm not sure about you but you know i used to actually think i knew a lot more than i (laughs) I used to you know so so um so yeah i think there's a few things happening there i think it's kind of like you're really excited to share um you really want to help people but there's also you know, maybe a little bit of ignorance as to, hey, look, maybe I, you know, maybe I don't know everything either, but even though mm-hmm. you're still sharing it. So, yeah. yeah what, but no, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. To incorporate was, you know, sharing when asked. Um, if someone if someone wants my opinion on something um, about what I think I have an, a, a degree of expertise in, then I'm happy to share. But um, otherwise, I kind of, you know, just from that experience, um, tend to tend to keep my 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 thoughts to myself, you know, unless it's with someone like you who, you know, we're always chatting about this sort of stuff anyway. So have a mutual interest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think with health, one of the best things you can do is just lead by example. Um, yeah, completely. You know, Actions speak far louder than words, right? Yeah. With health specifically, it's just leading by example. Um, and then people may ask questions uh, and it's literally the best form of credibility you can have you know if you're talking about health and you are healthy that's that for me is is all forms of credibility completely what are i and i don't mean to put you on the spot with this one but what are some things that potentially people could bring to christmas or prepare for christmas that would make things um you know as as far as food or as far as drinks go uh we might have covered most of this but um are there things that you would potentially specifically bring to like a Christmas lunch or a Christmas dinner that might make uh, things a little bit healthier? Yeah. I mean, think, I think people are more conscious about it now. Um, uh, I mentioned before, like, you know, uh, you can do, you know, you can do like a fruit jug of water with coconut water in there if you wanted to, that could be a really good, like sweet tasting kind of drink, um, you know, water with mint, water with berries, water with um, coconut water, all those kind of things can be awesome. Um, you know, you can do fruit sorbets, which are really, really good. Um, you can do fruit in general, which are really, really good. Um, you know, any, you know, animal food or well-sourced animal food is great. Um, I think vegetables are generally pretty good and suit most people. Um, you know, rice generally suits most people. So, so there's loads of options, you know, you take those and, and you could just basically do anything. Um, and then I sort of spoke about the alcohol side, cool, you know, where you can sort of reduce it, but if you can't, you know, organic wine, I think would probably be better than a, than a commercially farmed wine as an example. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, and as, as far as, you know, a a lot of the time I, I think I used to experience this quite a lot is you have these leftovers in the fridge. Um, and so you know, the day after Christmas, Boxing Day, you probably eat the same food. And then depending on, you know, how many people came to Christmas lunch and how many leftovers are left, you might end up eating that food for a week. Um, mm-hmm. So I think I think there's kind of multiple ways that you could approach that. Like one is 
if you've really carefully curated the foods that you're eating uh, and you know that they're high quality, then you can continue to eat them for the rest of the week. But um, there might be a lesson in, you know, uh, just deciding, hey, I've had enough of this food, um, pavlova or, you know, Christmas pudding or whatever it might be. And instead of, you know, keeping it until you've eaten a whole lot, you could decide to throw it in the bin. Yeah, look, it's interesting. Uh, I haven't checked this website for a while, but I did a few years ago called nutritionaustralia.org. Um, and they had some stats there that were like, uh, you know, the average person puts on anywhere between 0.8 to 1.5 kilograms over Christmas. Um, and, and, you know, there could be a number of reasons for that. There could be cool overeating, you know, eating processed foods, eating food you're sensitive to, like all those kind of things to lead to weight gain. So, you know, weight gain definitely is a thing um, over Christmas. It just depends how, how you know, serious you want to take that, I guess. Um, uh, and, yeah, and like I said, you know, probably starting with avoiding your food sensitivities are probably the <clears throat> best bet. One of the other tips that I would, would potentially have for myself, and I, I don't know how you approach this, but um, carbohydrates after exercise, in my opinion, are the, are the best times to have carbohydrates, either just before or just after. Um, and so if you know you're going to have like a really heavy Christmas lunch or you're going to have that Christmas pudding, then potentially do like a, like a, a weight or a resistance training workout um, as, close, as close to lunch or dinner as you can. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, what's been shown when you exercise is, you know, the, the glucogen levels in and around your muscles start to deplete. So, um, so if you have some glucogen, um, uh, soon afterwards, that will help replenish the muscles a little bit. So, so you could do it that way. Um, so if you sort of just kept your general exercise routine up, um, throughout Christmas, um, yeah, that could actually really help as well. Mm Mm-hmm. If there was uh, a list of foods that you would avoid at all costs or that you would uh, potentially prioritize uh, avoiding, uh, maybe seed oils, uh, maybe uh, maybe something like a pavlova or, or, you know, I see things like like uh, like shapes and that sort of stuff going around. Like what sort of foods would you really uh, be going out of your way to, to avoid? Yeah, look, this is this is quite an individual question. Um, mm. So uh, I'll ask you the same question, um, and then I'll, I'll, I'll give it. I'll give an answer for me, the general public, and then and then I'll, I'm actually interested in your answer. So, mm. so um, for me personally, um, you know, I generally just don't handle gluten that well, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I actually really used to love the taste of bread. So, so that for me is like I just can't do it. Um, so gluten, I can't do. I can't really do dairy outside of ghee. Um, ghee, I could, I can eat that all day, but everything else, I can't really do. Um, and I find most, and then, and then in general for people, so you got gluten, dairy. I think is actually quite individual. Um, you know, some people can actually handle it okay. Seem to handle it okay. Um, and then you've just got processed foods in general. So you know, your processed sugars and soft drinks and stuff. So you know, kombucha is is very available these days and that can be a good alternative to soft drink um even Mm -hmm. though i don't think it's kind of like a i don't think it's necessarily like a 10 out of 10 um health wise but i think it's still up there so um yeah i think there's probably still a few questions around it um uh so yeah you can do like a kombucha instead of soft drink um and like i said you know i think for the general public you know gluten consider dairy if, if you think you're sensitive to it and then just uh processed foods in terms of the seed oils uh, that you mentioned, that's a little bit harder to avoid, I think. Like, you know, a lot of restaurants mm. still use seed oils. Um, a lot of people still use seed oils. Um, you know, they're not, they're not used in massive amounts, I guess, in cooking. It's normally just on the on the pan, you know, a few drops on the pan. So, like, it would be ideal to avoid seed oils, but I don't, I don't know if it's actually entirely possible, you know, honestly. Yeah, what, one of the things that I've kind of noticed is that a lot of uh, a lot of commercial dips, you know, especially a lot of the cheaper ones, and even sometimes the more expensive ones are, are quite heavy in seed oils. You know, if you mm-hmm. if you read the ingredients list on uh, on any product, um, the first thing on the list will be, uh, you know, the highest amount of that ingredient. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, is yeah. what's in there, and the last thing there'll be the least amount. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I. Well, personally, I would probably try to avoid things like dips, um, especially the cheaper mm-hmm. ones. Um, okay. 
and 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 probably like really steer clear of of things like soft drink like um that's just something that um i i I just personally have no real taste for and that i know um will like quite severely affect my health like it just makes my energy feel terrible yeah okay sure 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 yeah um Look, look, people like that bubbly kind of, um, you know, flavor. So then it's like, well, what do you do? So, so you know, I mentioned kombucha and soda water. Um, you know, I haven't mentioned soda water, but soda water is another option. Mm. Um, even then, I, I don't recommend that people live on that stuff. Um, you know, I think there's still some questions. I think it still creates little gas pockets. You know, at a guess, it would probably create little gas pockets in the digestive system. So, I don't think, like I said, it's a 10 out of 10, but it's it's miles better than, you know, the soft drink that you mentioned. So, you know, I've looked at the labels pretty closely um, around soft drink. And if I remember correctly, if I remember this correctly, so uh, you, I think it's 600 mils of soft drink is, uh, it's around about, it's around about, um, it could be around about 16 teaspoons of sugar. I want to make sure that's correct though. I don't entirely know. But basically what you do is you go to the back of the label of a soft drink. Um, you look at the grams of sugar and you divide that by four. So um, if there's 16 grams of sugar, uh, then you divide that by four. That would be four, uh, that would be four teaspoons of sugar in that soft drink. Um mm-hmm. And soft drinks easily have that. I just can't quite remember the figures at the top of my head, but they easily have, you know, they, they go in the teens, um, no problem. So if you're okay to have, you know, 10 teaspoons of sugar and that's okay, then then go for it. But I, I wouldn't personally recommend it. Yeah, there's there's been some interesting stuff said lately about, uh, you know, even your diet soft drinks or your, or your Coke No Sugars and things like that. And uh, <clears throat> I'm almost starting to think that, Things like uh, aspartum and artificial sweeteners might even be worse than than sugar itself. Yeah, well, you know, aspartame I actually think is starting to get pulled from some of the products because it's been linked with different um, mental health conditions like anxiety and depression. So, um, you know, it was actually discovered by accident um, uh, by a scientist when he was working on something else. He's like, "Oh, this chemical kind of tastes good," and they just started throwing mm. in soft drinks. Um, so they're like, "Cool, well, this is sugar free." So. So yes, the, some of these um, have actually been linked to um, yeah, like I said, different mental health conditions and and neurological conditions, including ADHD. So so I agree. I, I don't think they're the answer. Um, you know, I've been asked before. Well, what's better? Is it you know the sugar one or the the sugar free one? And you know, it, the answer is neither. But like, I don't, I don't know which one I'd recommend out of those two. Mm. Are there specific symptoms uh, that you think that people could potentially correlate with the kinds of foods that they've eaten specifically around Black Christmas, do you think, like that maybe people are unaware of? Like one for me straight off the top of my head would be lethargy. Yeah, certainly. So I personally, it, it's actually quite a fallacy. People are like, oh, I just had lunch and I'm feeling tired, which is normal, right? Because I'm digesting. And it's like, no, nah, that's not normal at all. Like, um, if you're having, if you're feeling tired after a meal, um, the, the the quality of the meal is not there, or or the um, specific mix of carbohydrate, protein, fat is probably not suited to your body type. So mm-hmm. it's either the quality or it's the macronutrient um, mix is off. Um, you shouldn't really feel tired after a meal at all. Um, you should actually feel amount, a bit right? of energy. Yeah, I mean, the amount, um, uh, that can definitely lead to a bit of lethargy in my view. Um, uh, it's, the, the amount is a, is a different conversation because it's kind of like, you know, have you been under eating all day, then all of a sudden just eat, eating a massive meal. Um, and it can also actually be uh, a mental, emotional thing as well. Um, so, so the amount is a tricky one. Mm. One of the things I commonly notice uh, in people who are, you know, eating with food intolerances or are eating low quality foods pretty often is that they'll start to drink more caffeine or they'll start to look for energy rich foods. So you start to feel a little bit tired, you have a cup of coffee after lunch, or you have, you know, an espresso. Uh, maybe you decide that, uh, you know, you just really like craving um, or fiending for a soft drink. 
Um, those mm. sort of things for me are like a really good sign is that what you've eaten isn't agreeing with you. Yeah. Uh, look, look, coffee, having worked with people for quite a while, coffee is one of the hardest things to take away from people. It's highly mm. addictive as it is by nature. Um, it provides energy. It actually triggers a, a cortisol release. So it gets you that energy. Um, and people are like, well, do I actually really have to come off it? I just love the taste. Um, I, 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 my personal view is that if you're dependent on coffee, then you may have to consider coming off it, uh, which you know is hard to do in itself. Um, because it's like I've done it a few times. You're dependent. You're, what's that? Sorry, I've done it a few times. I've got personal experience with it. Okay, cool. It's very hard. Like you know, I've yep. I've got some uh, long-term clients who have not come off coffee because they're just not ready to, or they don't want to, because it's quite addictive. Um, but if you're dependent on it, in my view, that's an indication that um, your energy could be lacking and, and your nutrition and lifestyle factors might not be actually um, aligned because you need to require, you need to lean on coffee to have energy. So, you know, I personally haven't had a coffee in 10 to 15, well, at least 10 years and probably 15 years. So, um, so it's definitely possible. Um, you don't actually need it um, and you can function really well without it. Yeah, I, like I've got to say, I really love coffee, um, but I come off it periodically. Um, I don't like to be okay, dependent okay. On, 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 on anything, but uh, I do love a good coffee. Um, the other thing that I'll say um, is that I remember hearing a statistic and it was something like, it was either 40 or 50, I believe, percent of visits to doctors are because of low energy. Um, and so, you know, the amount of people who are, you know, walking around with with suboptimal energy levels is just like obviously through the roof. Yeah, wow. Look, it, it, um, it, it broke up a little bit as you're speaking, but I think I got most of it basically that most people are walking around with, with low energy levels. I'm not sure how they'd measure that, to be honest with you. I'd be quite, quite uh, interested so, in the metric. So I, I said uh, just before that, something about approximately 50% business doctors uh and this may have been in the states i'm not sure if it was in australia but with due to low energy yeah okay okay fair enough yeah 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 look um you're saying doctors are low in energy is that right no no 50 percent of of people who go to the doctors the reason for their visit is low energy energy. okay cool now it's it's, it was just breaking up a little bit sorry i couldn't actually hear it um yeah uh, yeah, that may be that may be accurate. Um, you know, there's there's certainly you know a lot of people probably that I work with. Once they get above the age of around about forty or so, um, mm-hmm. you know, you know, give or take. Uh, yeah, like low energy is starting to get reported, and you know, we were actually just talking just before this call around around energy levels. Like I'm 42, I don't feel my energy having declined at all you know maybe i don't have quite the energy i did when i was 18 um but but yeah it's it's still at a good level um and i don't think i think it's a bit of a fallacy that you just you know your your energy will just tank um you know as you Mm -hmm. get older i think you can still have pretty pretty good energy i i don't know how we can measure that necessarily as opposed to like just like your own sort of subjective feedback Mm. do you have any advice for people who you know, along the energy lines again, um, ways of potentially digesting food a little bit better or from gaining energy um, without having to rely on things like uh, caffeine after Christmas lunch or drinking a soft drink or, um, you know, any number of things that people use to kind of hack the system. Yeah. So, look, we've spoke about the nutrition and sort of hydration at length. Um, obviously, good quality sleep can really help. Um, naps can really help. Um, can be really, really good uh, for energy. Well, it's the, the, the best really tool for energy. Um, um, you know, taking time out can be really good. Um, you know, we had, I actually really enjoyed the the little debate we had or conversation around sort of cold water and sauna therapies. You know, cold water has been linked with increasing energy. Um uh, I think we both brought up some good points where I think my concern is, yeah, it's just proceed with caution basically. Um, and I think you kind of, and, and I think you kind of agree with that and, and you brought up yeah, a really completely. good point. You brought up a really good point around, cause I was like, Hey, look, there are some reported side effects to this cold water therapy. And then you're like, well, maybe it's a genetic thing. And I thought, yeah, actually it potentially is, you know, so, so, you know, um, we've both, I, I think you've read 
bit of Western A prices work at, at a guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so his book, uh, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration, is excellent, um, quite in depth, but excellent. And you know, after we had that conversation, I actually kind of thought, you know, if 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 inland Aboriginals started doing cold water therapy in the middle of summer, would their bodies actually be able to handle that well? Or they started doing the middle of winter, would their bodies actually handle it that well? Like you know, they were mm. the photos I saw; they were very you know slim, but still well built. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, is that actually suited to their genetics, as an example? Or when he was in um, uh, in Africa, I think specifically he was in Kenya. Um, hanging out with the with the Maasai, so you know, are are those body types suited to cold water therapies? Like like um, you know, compared to the Scandinavian, you know, Alaskan types. So, um, so kind of got off track there a little bit. But in terms of energy perks, cold water can do it. Um, but you know, proceeding with caution. So um, you know, maybe just a cold shower is fine. You don't necessarily need to you know freeze your butt off in a in a um, you know, in a, in a cold pool with ice. Um, and, and everyone's different with that. So certainly if it, the elderly, I think would should definitely proceed with caution. Um, people that are a lot more athletic and have built up a tolerance to the cold, um, you know, they can definitely do it more often in my view. Um, but yeah, jumping in a, in cold water has been shown to increase your cortisol levels, which can give you some good, um, uh, some good energy. Um, I don't know. Did you want to add anything to that on the cold water side? Um, no, not not specifically. I I think um, I, I enjoyed that debate as well, and I think you brought up some good points. Um, I will say the other thing that's pretty common at Christmas, um, I, I think, is going to the beach. Um, so, I mean, that's that's probably one of the ways that uh, or, or one of the benefits of having you know, Christmas in Australia in, in the middle of summer is that uh, you've got a great opportunity to go and do some immersion in water and get grounded and get some salt water and all that sort of stuff yeah i mean you know to touch on that and to bring it back to some of the things we spoke about so um there was actually a bit of research to show that when you drink alcohol your skin actually becomes more sensitive to sun so you're actually more Mm. likely to potentially get sunburnt when you're drinking alcohol and I, i don't know the exact mechanism of action but um but there's a bit of research around that so it's like cool so you sort of watch the alcohol intake in and around the sun um i also there's also a bit of research out there to show if you wear sunglasses it can actually shut off the you know some of your melanin um production and as a result you can't actually take as much sun so because if you're wearing sunglasses part of your body actually thinks it's dark you know so there's no need to have that protection um uh i think also being well hydrated so your skin's well hydrated so you can absorb lots of sun and then having good quality skin comes down to good quality nutrition. Now, I personally think that probably requires for most people um, some good quality fats. So, um, you know, where they can just really absorb that sun quite well. Uh, and we've both, you know, you referred me to the book called um, Deep Nutrition, which I read by um, Catherine Shanahan. Catherine, yeah, that's her name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So, so, uh, so she spoke about how how important it was to have you know good quality collagen in and amongst the skin to help you really absorb that sun, and she saw no problem with getting sun if you had that. So, um, so sun exposure. There's actually been some more research about it lately. How beneficial it is. You know, I don't know about you in in growing up in Bundaberg, but in Brisbane 30 years ago, the slip slop slack commercials were hammered everywhere. Mm-hmm. So. Um, and now it's like, I don't know, I personally haven't used sunscreen in about 15 years. I just manage my time in the sun. So if I start yeah. to feel burned, it's like, cool, we'll go under an umbrella or go under a tree. Um, uh, and, you know, you can build a tolerance for it over time. And like I said, the, you know, levels of hydration, um, high quality nutrition can see you actually tolerate sun a lot better. So, um, you know, what's it been linked with? Been linked with loads of benefits now. Um, mm. So, uh, you know, I don't know where to start. So, you know, um, better hormonal profile, um, um, better support for your immune system in terms of vitamin D. Um, it's actually even been linked with improving addictions, I think, in animals, if I remember correctly. So hmm. because vitamin D actually in the sun actually is quite addictive. So, you know, you can actually have that addictive, you know, part of you um, – uh, met instead of going and you know doing other unhealthy addictions. Mm. I believe that uh, Dr. Jack Cruz would also tie that to uh, potentially blue light toxicity, and so 
um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the level of dopamine um, is actually lower. And so potentially those people who are getting benefits from more sun exposure are, are boosting their levels of dopamine. Yes, I'll read that for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, it's a really good point. Um, yeah, does does I know you follow Dr. Jack Cruz's work quite extensively. Does he have any views on infrared saunas? Because that's like a specific light, whereas sun would be like a full spectrum light. So mm-hmm. infrared saunas is obviously red light. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you do you my, have a view? My, what is he? Yeah, my understanding is that he's quite in favour of them. Um, but okay. I think that he would say that, uh, you know, full spectrum light is the best light. Hmm. Hmm. I think so as well. Um, you know, you don't want to mess with nature too much. And and I actually heard they're now starting to do saunas with sort of trying to do that full spectrum light. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of trends come up. Yeah. The other thing that I, I think um, people should be careful with, with with those sort of saunas is they've, they've actually, uh, or, or some of them, probably the cheaper ones produce quite a lot of uh, non-native EMF. Um, and so while yeah, you might okay. experience the benefits of uh, near or far infrared light, you're still getting that emf exposure yeah yeah okay and you're, that makes and you're sense. Li- like you're you're in a box where where you're basically you know being radiated with it so <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> yeah that makes sense that makes sense yeah look it, it it i think yeah i'm always a little bit cautious around trends you know so you know people start buying mm. infrared saunas i just get slightly nervous um about trends because i've seen trends come and go um I don't know why it's kind of gone away from that traditional, you know, rocks and putting putting water in the rock, like the heated rocks. So that seemed fairly safe to me. Um, maybe there was some breathing issues around it for some people. Um, so yeah, we'll see where the where the sauna cold water therapy trend goes. But like I said, I've seen seen trends come and go. I, I personally think you just got to do whatever's right for you in the end. Um, yeah, and do it in good balance. I think some of the the benefits from infrared are that you can get a like a deeper sweat at a lower temperature because the infrared light is actually permeating the skin at a deeper level. Um, but yeah, good point. I think most of the research that's been done on the longevity side of saunas has come out of like Eastern Europe where people have, you know, almost everyone has one of those old style uh, saunas at their house. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, massive benefit to, to, to just having, you know, a regular sauna. Yeah, exactly. That that's that would be my inclination. You know, it's been linked with um, good blood flow, calming the body. Um, you know, definitely detoxification because you're in that sweat going. So, so I, I, I have read up on the benefits. I think um, I think I just personally get slightly nervous around technological trends. Mm. Um, and you know, some of them end up being okay. Um, you know, the earthing products seem to be okay. Even then, though, there's a little bit of controversy over it. So. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see where it goes basically. But in my view, it's like where you can, um, you know, trying to get back to nature as much as you can. And especially in Australia at the moment, you know, a sauna is not really required quite frankly. Yeah, completely. (laughs) Um, one of the, one of the last things that I'd, I'd probably add on potentially, I think we were talking about detoxification or, you know, um, methods for maybe alleviating some of the symptoms, um, that might result as of. Uh, eating some bad foods, but um, breathing would be a big thing that that I would incorporate. Um, you know, one of the things that I try to tell my clients is that, you know, especially with diaphragmatic breathing, you've got the kidneys mm-hmm. that are sitting kind of in the in the lower part of the back, um, mm-hmm. and they're attached fatally to the diaphragm. So the kidneys should be moving something like eight hundred meters per day if you're breathing diaphragmatically. And so you can imagine that, really, um, if those kidneys aren't moving. Um, you're missing out on that huge kind of pumping and flushing effect of of the kidneys moving, and you know we know that they're a major organ of detoxification. Yeah, wow. Okay, I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that little tidbit of um, information. Look, uh, you know, you're, you're probably a bit better versed on the breathing side than I am. So, because you've done a little bit of you've done a bit of Wim Hof work. Uh, yeah, a few of those sort of things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how have you found it for yourself and your clients in terms of um, different breathing techniques? So certainly diaphragmatic breathing, you know, I 100% agree with you. There's loads of research around that, um, how it can improve many things, um, you know, including including sort of stress reduction and, and, and alleviation of, um, mm-hmm. you know, 
depression, anxiety, and so forth. But how? But I think you've you've personally practiced some of Wim Hof's breathing techniques. Yeah, uh, so I'm I've, actually quite I've, interested in that. I've used quite a lot of breathing techniques. I, I think, you know, that's that's probably a good place to start. Even even before doing that, I think a great way to learn to feel the diaphragm is through a method called piston breathing, where you're just mm-hmm. focusing, focusing that, yeah. on that exhalation part of the breathing and you're uh so you're breathing out forcefully and then allowing air just to fall back in um so to speak yeah okay um and so that style of breathing um you know i I guess it kind of replicates a piston kind of really allows people to be able to start to feel their diaphragm um yeah and you know i I read somewhere the other day and I, i remember hearing paul check say this is that if a supplement bottle um had a had a, a pamphlet in it that explained how to breathe diaphragmatically for people then the efficacy of that supplement would increase substantially um oh, just wow. because okay, cool. you know <laughs> um you know people would probably attribute that to the supplement but uh but just breathing diaphragmatically um can just boost energy levels so much yeah yeah well yeah oh yeah for sure um yeah yeah for sure was there anything else that you wanted to cover no, I think that's about it. We said we'd chat for about an hour, so I think yep. um, I think that that's about it in terms of Christmas. But yeah, it's uh, especially if people have just started on the health wagon, it can get a little bit tricky uh, around Christmas time. Um, a little bit of trial and error, like we said, it it can sometimes be a few steps forward, a couple of steps back. It's very very normal. Um, and yeah, I hope everyone. You know, we also spoke about you know, potential family triggers. Hopefully that was beneficial. Um, I personally mm. find it interesting. Um, uh, we spoke about some alcohol, the hydration strategies. And yeah, I just hope everyone has a good Christmas, safe Christmas and comes back firing for the new year. Me too. Merry Come Christmas. On, Thanks for joining to- me, Mark. Good on you.